بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد فان احسن الكلام كلام الله وخير الهدى هدى محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وان شر الامور محدثاتها وكل محدثه بدعه وكل بدعه ضلاله وكل ضلاله في النار uh, so today we start uh, another small treatise uh, which follows on from the previous treatise that we discussed in the previous lessons uh, and that treatise was the explanation tafsir kalimat la ilaha illallah an explanation of the statement la ilaha illallah and so in that statement uh, shaykh al-islam muhammad bin abdul wahhab rahimahullah ta'ala he explained and likewise upon the explanation of shaykh salih al-fawzan uh, we explain basically the uh, this kalima, this statement which is made, La ilaha illallah, which every single messenger came with and brought, that this has been described with certain titles. It is the word kalimatul ikhlas, the word of sincerity, kalimatul taqwa, the word of piety. It is al urwatul wuthqa, the firm handhold. It is al fariqatu bayn al kufri wal islam that which distinguishes between kufr and Islam, all of which indicates the importance and the greatness of this kalima. What also came out from that previous series was that every single Muslim, he must know and understand four things about this statement which he makes. He must know the meaning, the ma'na. He must know the muqtada. Muqtada meaning that the implication the requirements of this statement that he makes upon him. Likewise, we mentioned that a person must also know the arkan, what are the pillars of this statement. And finally, what are the conditions, the shurut, the conditions of this statement. Also, what came out from the previous treaties is that what is intended by the statement is not just to merely say it with the tongue, whilst you are ignorant of its meaning. This is not the intent. And unfortunately, this is the state and condition of a very large number of Muslims today. They repeat this statement being ignorant of what it actually means and what it requires from them. Upon that, we said that a person must have knowledge of it in his heart. He must know in his heart what is the true and real meaning of this kalima. And then... That meaning must express itself, that understanding must express itself outwardly in his speech, in his action, in his worship. And we alluded to a number of statements in the, in, in, in the, in the sunnah which indicate this when the messenger of Allah he said, whoever said, La ilaha illallah, in some narrations, mukhlisan, mukhlisan, min qalbihi, meaning sincerely from his heart. In another narration, خَالِسًا مِنْ قَلْبِهِ Again, sincerely and purely from his heart. In another uh, version, صَادِقًا 
min qalbihi, meaning truthfully from his heart. So this implies that a person must clearly understand the meaning for him to be saying it sincerely, purely, truthfully, genuinely. And then in turn, this must then be expressed outwards in terms of his actions. So this then led us to understand that the essence of the meaning of this kalima is that uluhiya, which is the right to worship, only belongs to Allah Azawajal. No one besides Allah deserves to be worshipped or has the right to be worshipped. And if anyone or anything besides Allah is worshipped, it is being worshipped in falsehood, upon falsehood. Only Allah is worshipped in truth because His worship is the truth. It is the truth upon which the heavens and the earth have been created. So this then led us to the true and real meaning of Tawheed. The Tawheed of the messengers and the prophets. It is to single out Allah, Ifradullah bil ibadah. To single out Allah in worship. And this is the Tawheed of the messengers. As for the other types of Tawheed that you see from the deviants, from the philosophers, from the people of innovation, from the people of Kalam, from the people who deny Qadr or exaggerate in Qadr, we mentioned seven other types or explanations of Tawheed which are false. Tawheed of the philosophers, Tawheed of the Jahmiyyah, Tawheed of the extreme Sufis, Tawheed of the Jabariyya, Tawheed of the Mu'tazila, Tawheed of the people of politics in our time, uh, who say the meaning of the kalima la ilaha illallah is la hakima illallah. There is no judge or lawgiver but Allah, which is you know like an exaggeration or a restriction of the meaning for political purposes. And likewise the tawheed of the grave worshippers, those who believe that tawheed is just to believe that Allah is the creator, provider, sustainer, which nobody disputes. Nobody has ever disputed that. And then finally the tawheed of the messengers, which is to single out Allah in worship. So then after that, we then moved on, we discussed how the doubts of the grave worshippers are really centered around the issue of intercession. Shafa'ah. Shafa'ah. And we said that shafa'ah intercession is really the starting point of four different routes or four different avenues by which people fall into into shirk or four arguments to justify shirk. Right? We mentioned that either you believe that someone has someone is a shafi' he has the right to intercede with Allah, or after that someone is a Zahir or a Mu'in, someone who aids Allah in the running of his creation, or he is a Sharik, he shares with Allah in owning the creation, or he is a Malik, he actually owns something from the creation. Now these are four avenues and four uh, routes through which a person might justify his shirk. We mentioned that on the basis of an ayah in the Quran in Surah Saba, verses 22 to 23, which, is, which, which we said is very important for a Muslim to understand that ayah. Um, so after discussing the issue of intercession, and that this was the very same thing that the earliest pagans were seeking, when they said, uh, meaning those that they were worshipping, they would say they are our interceders with Allah. They will intercede with Allah on our behalf. 
They will ask Allah on our behalf. And we only worship them that they may bring us closer to Allah, bring us nearer to Allah. This was the same nature of the shirk of the very first people. Except the only difference is that they were very clear, they understood, they said, these are our aliha, these are our deities. Whereas in our time, the names have changed. They say, this is the wali, this is the sayyid, this is the faqir, this is the so-and-so, and they use these names and titles. But the essence of what they are doing is exactly the same. We invoke them. We seek needs to them that they may bring us closer to Allah. Right? So the labels are different, but the realities are basically uh, actually uh, the same. And then we also mentioned how Ibn al-Qayyim, with respect to intercession, he said that intercession in the Qur'an, the one that is accepted by Allah, is one which has three qualities. Number one, Allah must give His permission for a person, for an angel, for a prophet, for a messenger, for a righteous person. He must give His permission first before someone can intercede. No one can intercede just, just like that, of his own accord. He has no right. Rather, He is granted permission first. Secondly, Allah must be pleased with that person. He must be pleased with the person before He even gives him permission to actually intercede for anybody else. And finally, what is Allah pleased with? He is pleased with tawheed and ittiba following the sunnah. So, this qualifies intercession. Not all intercession is accepted by Allah The intercession that is sought by the mushrikun, the pagans who worship others besides Allah, this is rejected by Allah so that was the essence of what we covered in the previous treaties. And that gave us an insight into the, the meaning of the kalima, the reality of the kalima. And so this, today's treatise is called Al-Jami' Li-Ibadatillahi Wahda. Which is, uh, you know, a, 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 a concise treatise or a concise summary of what the worship of Allah alone comprises. When we speak about the worship of Allah, what enters into the worship of Allah Azawajal? And so this is really the essence of what this treatise is going to discuss. Uh, it will discuss the many different forms and types of worship. Right? And an explanation of what they mean. So this is just as crucial as the previous uh, treaties. So the Shaykh, rahimahullah ta'ala, he begins, Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, wa sallallahu wa sallam wa baraka ala nabina Muhammad, wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. So after beginning by with the basmala and uh, praising and extolling Allah Azzawajal and sending the salah and the salam and the baraka upon the, asking for baraka upon our Prophet Muhammad sallam, uh, he then says, in the treaties, Qala Shaykh Al-Imam Muhammad bin Abdul Wahhab, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, that the Shaykh, the Imam Muhammad bin Abdul Wahhab, may Allah have mercy upon him, said, فَإِنْ قِيل, فَإِنْ قِيل, If it is said, if it is then said. So you see the Shaykh goes straight into the treaties. And it's understood and implied that, that there's already context behind the discussion. 
And so the context behind the discussion, really, I would say that the treaties that we discussed previously is really the context, it helps us to give the context behind this particular treaties. فَإِنْ قِيلْ If it is then said, فَمَا الْجَامِعْ لِعِبَادَةِ اللَّهِ وَحْدَهِ If it is then said, what is it that brings together comprehensively the worship of Allah alone? So the question really is, what is it that that what is it that we can explain about the worship of Allah that will give us a comprehensive definition or understanding of the worship of Allah? In other words, if if someone asks you, explain to me comprehensively, explain to me fully and concisely and comprehensively. What enters into the worship of Allah? What is the worship of Allah? Such that I do not need to ask after that. Right? So this is the essence of the question. Qulta, so the shaykh says, you will say, you will respond, or you shall respond. And then he gives the answer. In a short sentence, he says, ta'atuhu, so in a sentence, you could summarize the answer to this question by simply saying, it is to obey Allah, to obey Allah, ta'atuhu, by implementing what He commanded, fulfilling what He commanded, and avoiding what He prohibited. So this would be a summary, a short way of giving the answer. A concise way of giving the answer. That if you want to know what comes under the worship of Allah, comprehensively, you simply say, it is to obey Allah, ta'atuhu, bimtithali awamirihi, by fulfilling His commands, wajtinabi nawahi, and keeping away from His prohibition. So this was this would be something that you obviously you learn you memorize and it is a summary answer. Now obviously, in the rest of the treaties, the Sheikh will go on to elaborate in a lot more uh, detail. But the Sheikh Sheikh Al Fawzan he then comments upon this introduction. So upon this introduction, Sheikh Al Fawzan he says after praising Allah Zawajal and sending salat and salam upon the Prophet he says. Indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He created the jinn and the men in order to worship Him. Now, this is the purpose for existence. As Allah Zawajal, He said, وَمَا خَلَقُتُ الْجِنَّ وَالْإِنسَ إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُونَ That we have not created the jinn and the men except that they may worship. This is a very clear, simple answer which explains to us the purpose of our existence. And once we understand this, once we have been informed of this by our Maker, by our Creator, then our life is very simple. Because we then assume that we will receive guidance from this Maker and this Creator. It it, it is implied that if we have been created for His worship, that it implies that we shall receive guidance. And indeed, Allah Zawajal, this is why He sent messengers, this is why He revealed books. And so that's why wahi, revelation, is the source of our guidance. 
And so all the prophets and messengers are united, as we said in the previous treaties, upon the kalima la ilaha illallah, that it is the truth, that it is the purpose for creation. Now, if you don't accept this, you see that if you look at you know, the atheists and the philosophers and those people, they are just lost and confused and wandering and blind because they don't know what the purpose of existence is. There isn't a purpose. They, can't, they, they don't have one, there can't be one. And for that reason, when you look at all of the different philosophies that have arisen, you see that all these philosophies are just really each person trying to make sense of the world based upon his own experiences and then coming out with a philosophy that he thinks should be his philosophy for, for, for life on the basis of what he's experienced. That's really all it is. Right? So you'll see, you know, all the, without going into all the details, you see that these philosophers have certain ideas about morals and principles. And so some of them say, well, I think you should really think about yourself. Everything that counts is whatever gives meaning to your life. If you want to seek pleasure, if you want to seek fame, if you want to seek authority, this is what gives meaning to your life. You just pursue it. That's your truth. Right? So some of them come up with these ideas. Others say, well, no, really, it's to do with basically caring for other people and being altruistic and kind and generous. And so it's the, it's the group and it's the others that you really you know, self-sacrifice for. And then others come with something else. And then others come with something else. And then others come with something else. So they all lust. Because they don't really know what the... You know, because they deny revelation, then they are forced to rely upon their opinions and their ideas and their personal subjective experiences. So they come with all these different philosophies. So when you look at these people, the philosophers, you see that, you know, if you put everything together in a spectrum, they're all lost, contradictory, incoherent when you put them together. Right? But when you look at Islam and revelation, and you look at... Everything as a whole, you know, the beliefs, the acts of worship, the morals and manners that it commands, the, you know, the akhlaq, the, 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 the behavior, the etiquette, the rules and laws that relate to wealth, that relate to uh, life, that relate to uh, property, that relate to honor, you know, the objectives behind the sharia. And you put all of these together, you see everything it fits. There is no conflict in anything. The, everything fits absolutely perfectly together. And that's why... Uh, that's why... Uh, to, this is obviously uh, sidestepping from, from the treaties itself. Uh, but just to give an example, I was just listening on, on, on the radio, on the news, on the way here, where they were speaking about uh, alcohol and the problem with alcohol. And how alcohol is a huge problem and it costs them 70 billion in expenses because of the impact it has on the health of 15 to 50 something year olds. Right? The impact upon health. And how this is a huge problem and how they need to tackle it. And so they're trying to find different ways. And one of the ways that they're suggesting now is to say, well, we ought to have like a, an absolute minimum Price basically hike the price up so high that it becomes obviously less affordable to people, so to put people off from uh, drinking uh, alcohol. And so you see that these people, how how they're completely lost because 
you know, they, they, they don't maintain the principles by, upon which law ought to be based, right? Allah, when it looks at things, when it looks at the qualities of things, properties, actions, things, it looks at what is the benefit to the majority and what is the harm to the majority. And what is the benefit to the individual and what is the harm to the, uh, you know, what is the, 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 the harm to the individual. And on the basis, it always brings out that which is best. It brings out that which is in which lies the greatest, you know, benefit and good for, for, for the people. So here, because they have these philosophies about the individual and, you know, they can't strike the balance between what benefits the individual and his, his, his interests and what benefits the society as the whole. And so therefore they will persist, they will, they, they will allow these things to continue, alcohol, um, you know, uh, sexual relations outside of defined boundaries because they believe this is all the individual freedom and, and whatever else, you know, whatever philosophies they operate upon. But on the other hand, you see the, 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 hard, the, the, the destruction that it's doing upon the society. It's visibly destroying the society. Domestic violence, road accidents, uh, you know, uh, health uh, problems with the, the liver being destroyed and all the implications it has upon employment, work, da, 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 you know, and everything, all the harm it brings to the economy. You can, you can see it in front of your eyes, the damage that it's doing. Just like you see the damage that, you know, when you see broken homes because of uh, illicit sexual relations and, you know, whatever else comes with, 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 with all of these, you know, uh, liberal philosophies, you see the harm right in front of your eyes. It's in front of your face. But still, you see the slogans about liberty, freedom, this, and it's all a mess. It does, there's no, there's no coherence. There's no coherence. It's a mess. Right? So, so, whereas when you look at Islam, alcohol, yes, there is some benefit in it. But the harm outweighs the benefit. And shaitan, and the other ayat mentioned how, you know, by way of certain actions like gambling and divination and, you know, things like that, Shaitan, he instills, you know, uh, enmity and hatred and, you know, he brings harm by way of these things. And so Islam, when it legislates, uh, it makes a legislation for the prohibition of something, then it also prohibits all the avenues that lead to that thing as well. So it is haram for you to be sat at a place where alcohol is being served. It is haram for you, like the, the people who are cursed, the one who squashes the grapes, the one who... You know, the one who carries the, 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 the alcohol, the one who sells it, the one, everyone is... So, it prohibits something and it prohibits all the avenues that lead to it as well. This is, this is wisdom in law, this is wisdom in legislation, that you not only prohibit the thing, but you also prohibit all the avenues, avenues that lead to it as well. And so likewise, you see that the same is, uh, applies to other things as well, like fornication. Prohibited and all the avenues leading to it. There are other legislations that make sure that a person does not, you know, go towards that, and so on and so forth. So the point being that in in uh, that uh, uh, that when we accept that revelation is from Allah Zawajal, then we anticipate guidance from Allah Zawajal. Then we anticipate that this guidance will be in our best interests, and it is based upon wisdom, Allah's hikmah, Allah's knowledge. Allah's, you know, perfection, Allah's justice, and everything will be coherent. And that's exactly what we see. Whereas when we look at, you know, all these other philosophies, it is just one big mess with no coherence whatsoever.
So the point being, this is a sidetrack, but the point uh, that we started with was the issue of we know the purpose of our creation. It is to worship Allah alone. And since this is the purpose we anticipate, then, then Allah will send us guidance. And so indeed, He sent guidance by way of the prophets and messengers. He revealed books. And all the, the, the guidance of the messengers and prophets is one and uniform and the same. And on top of that, Tawheed, we are then given the shara'i, the legislations which then govern our lives uh, to, to, to protect you know, our lives, our dignity, our honor, our property, our wealth, our blood. It guarantees the protection of those things. So, we have been created to worship Allah Azawajal. And not only did He create men and jinn to worship Him, but He also created the angels to worship Him as well. As He says in another ayah, وَمَنْ عِنْدَهُ لَا يَسْتَكْبِرُونَ عَنْ عِبَادَتِهِ وَلَا يَسْتَحْسِرُونَ يُسَبِّحُونَ اللَّيْلَ وَالنَّحَارِ لَا يَفْتُرُونَ So, and those who are with him, meaning the angels, they are not arrogant from his worship. So the angels, the difference between the angels and the jinn and the men is that the jinn and the men, that they are given a, a choice. They are tested and put to trial in terms of worshipping Allah. Whereas the angels, they do not disobey Allah. They worship him. They are not arrogant to worship him because this is the nature upon which they have been created. The Shaykh then says, So the Shaykh now goes on to explain the linguistic definition of the word ibadah. So we now establish that we have been created for ibadah. The men and jinn. The angels worship Allah, they don't disobey Him. But the men and jinn, they have a choice. And they are put to test and put to trial. So this ibadah then that we are explaining in this treatise, it is taken from the word ta'abbud, which itself is taken from the word tadallul, tadallul. And there's a phrase which is mentioned in Arabic, which helps to explain the meaning of this word. They say in Arabic, tariqun mu'abbadun, tariqun mu'abbadun. And this refers to a path, like often you see a path in a field of grass and you see that it's been pushed down because the people have been frequently walking on that same in that same line. So that so that part of the path, you see, it is depressed slightly because of the constant uh, pressure, uh, because of the people walking on on top of that, right? So this is the meaning of at uh, or tadallul, meaning a frequently traversed path which has been depressed down because of the frequency of the people walking upon it. This is the meaning in terms of the language. At-ta'abbud, at-tadallul. Now, the scholars have given two explanations of the meaning of the word ibadah. So, you need to uh, maybe take a note or learn what these two meanings are. They are very simple and very straightforward. So, the first of them, we see this coming from Ibn al-Qayyim, rahimahullah, Likewise, Shaykh al-Islam, Ibn Taymiyyah, ta'ala as well. So the first definition, it states that ibadah is غَايَةُ الْحُبِّ غَايَةُ الْحُبِّ مَعَ غَايَةِ الظُّلِّ So ibadah, when you speak of ibadah, there are two things. 
it is first of all the extremity or the essence of love combined with the extremity or the essence of humility love and humility these two things together combined they constitute worship and then there's some poetry here from ibn al-qayyim rahimahullah from his nuniya essentially there's five or six lines of poetry i'll quickly summarize the meaning the, the, he basically says that the worship of ar-rahman wa ibadatu ar-rahman ghayatu hubbihi the worship, the ibadah of Ar-Rahman is the extremity of love. Alongside the humility of the worshipper, these two things are two poles. They are two pillars or two poles. وَعَلِيهِمَا فَلَكَ الْعِبَادَةِ دَائِرٌ And around these two, does the you know the the orbit or the circle of worship it revolves around these two poles right the extremity of love and the extremity of uh, humility and it revolves around the command the command of his messenger not uh, not around the desire of the soul of shaitan right so in other words once we accept that worship is the combination of love with humility, then how that is manifested is determined by the command of the messenger. It's not determined by your soul or your, you know, your, 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 your hawa, your desire, or by shaitan prompting you or commanding you. Right? It is then manifested by adhering to the command of the messenger of Allah. Sallallahu so this is from Ibn al-Qayyim. Now, once we understand this, it's, it's, it should be important that we clearly understand the importance as to why these two are needed together. If, for example, a person simply had love, there was just love in his heart and nothing else. So, for example, he didn't humble himself. He didn't humble himself and adhere to the commands and the wishes of the one whom he claims to love this then would not really be worship for example um, we see that you know we see that a man has love for his wife he has love for his children <coughs> but we don't see him humbling you know humiliating himself in front of them right this love is devoid of that type of humility so this therefore is not really worship when you manifest love for your wife or for your children because it's not coupled with that type of humility. In a similar way we could say that when you look at the Christians the Christians have an extremity of love extremity of love. They express nothing but love. But at the same time we see that the Christians they don't really have a law. What, what is the law? They, they don't have a law. They don't have a sharia. There is no law. Rather they worship upon hawa and you know jahal upon whatever else. So, so really that isn't really worship. Because it is not combined with a type of humility where you humble yourself to the commands. 
and you avoid the prohibitions of the one whom you claim that you are showing love to because they don't have a law right so this really is not it's not not really worship it's not worship because the essence of adhul is missing that dhul which is qualified by obeying the messenger or by obeying the revelation right it's not there likewise if we take it the other way and we see that someone is humiliated or humbled in front of someone else let's give an example take for example fir'aun fir'aun who subdued and hum- hum- humiliated the uh, you know bani israel the the the, the bani israel and he you know imposed upon them certain things so so basically he forced them like tyrants do like oppressors do now in their hearts was their love for fir'aun when they obeyed him when they were forced to obey him to, to you know slave away doing what they were doing there was no love in the heart rather there was hatred and dislike in the heart and that's why when a tyrant an oppressor he humbles you and humiliates you and forces you to obey him this is humility this is dhul but is this worship and the answer is no because the worship has to emanate from the love of the heart from the love of the heart so this shows that worship can only be worship when it combines these two things when it combines these two things right when it is the extremity of love of the heart and the extremity of humility um so this then brings us to the second definition that helps us to understand the meaning of ibadah and before we move on it's important to understand that this hub and dhul has to be qualified by the command of the messenger of allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam as ibn al-qayyim indicated meaning that when we when when we worship allah it has to be qualified by the command of the messenger of allah when we combine our love and humility then it is restricted and qualified by the sunnah of the messenger of allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam and hence we obey allah in what he commanded and we keep away from that which he prohibited so this is the first definition if someone says to you what is ibadah you say it is the extremity of love combined with the extremity of humility and it is qualified by the command of the messenger of allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam simple three things the second definition of ibadah comes from shaykh al-islam ibn taymiyyah rahimahullah ta'ala and he mentions this in one of his books called al-ubudiyah al-ubudiyah which is to do with you know servitude to allah worshiping allah alone and within this treatise he defines ibadah and this is the, the the very common definition that is used by the scholars they say al-ibadatu ismun jami'un li kulli ma yuhibbuhu allah wa yardah min al-aqwal wal a'mal al-zahira wal batinah so to explain what this means he says al-ibadatu worship the, the worship this word worship al-ibadah ismun jami'un ismun jami'un it is a comprehensive term it is an all inclusive term for what likulli ma yuhibbuhu allah wa yardah for everything which allah loves and is pleased with so everything that allah loves and is pleased with it enters into this word 
ibadah. And then he explains further. Min al-aqwal wal-a'mal al-zahira wal-batina. Of, of statements and actions, whether inward or outward. Right, so this is a very comprehensive definition of the word ibadah. The word ibadah is a comprehensive term that refers to everything Allah loves and is pleased with, whether they are statements, which are statements of the heart, statements which we make outwardly of the tongue, whether they are actions, which are actions of the hearts inwardly, or whether they are actions that we perform with the limbs. So this is a comprehensive um, term, a comprehensive definition of ibadah. So the Shaykh, here he said, فَإِنْ قِيلُ Shaykh Al-Islam Muhammad bin Abdul Wahab, meaning at the beginning of the treatise, فَإِنْ قِيلُ Meaning that if you were asked, if it was said to you, مَا الْجَامِعُ لِعِبَادَةِ اللَّهِ What summarizes the essence of the worship of Allah? What is the definition? فَإِنَّكَ تَقُولُ Then Shaykh Al-Islam is saying, then you say, we mentioned at the beginning that you say it is to obey Allah by fulfilling His commands and keeping away from His prohibitions. So now we move to the next sentence of Shaykh Al Islam Muhammad bin Abdul Wahab. That was a commentary upon the introduction. So the Shaykh he says, Now another question is put to you. فَمَا أَنْوَاءُ الْعِبَادَةِ الَّتِي لَا تَصْلُحُ إِلَّا لِلَّهِ تَعَالَى إِلَّا لِلَّهِ تَعَالَى If it is then said to you, so the first question then is, what is, what is this ibadah? What is the essence of this ibadah? You simply say, to obey Allah in what He commanded and keep away from that which He prohibited. But obviously there's elaborations upon this in terms of what is the definition of ibadah, the two definitions that we mentioned. So now the next question will come to you. Okay, now explain to me then, what are the various types of worship then, which are only befitting for Allah Azawajal? Right? So we've now established that ibadah is the extremity of love <coughs> coupled with the extremity of humility, qualified by the command of the Messenger. And we've established that ibadah is a term that brings together everything Allah loves and is pleased with of the inward and outward statements and actions. So the next question is, well, what are they? What are these inward and outward statements and actions? What is the command of the messenger that qualifies what is worship when we combine love with humility? This is the natural question. Explain to me what they are. And so this is, you know, uh, this leads us to the rest of the treaties. So commenting upon this statement then, uh, Shaykh Al-Fawzan, he says, uh, to clarify the meaning of the statement, this question, what are the types of worship then that only befit only Allah the Most High? Worship has many different types. As Shaykh Al-Islam said in the definition that we just looked at, <coughs> that it is a comprehensive term that brings together everything that Allah loves and is pleased with from the statements and actions inward and outward. This then shows to us that worship can take place in the heart. It can take place on the tongue or by the tongue. And it can take place by way of the limbs. 
So there has to be different categories and types of worship that fall in each of these three things. In the heart, upon the tongue, or upon the limbs. So the Sheikh says, there are certain actions which are wahira, meaning that which other people can see, which are outward. For example, the salah, the prayer that we make. As-siyam, the fasting. Al-amr bil-ma'roof, commanding good. Wa-nahiyan il-munkar, prohibiting evil. Al-jihad fi sabilillah, striving in the path of Allah. Silatul arham, keeping the ties of kinship. Right? These are all outward actions that we see which are commanded in the sharia, which are acts of worship. Then there are other things which really are, which people cannot see. But they are only seen and known by Allah Azawajal. And these are the actions of the hearts, or the, and likewise the statements of the hearts. The statement of the heart, your heart speaks. What is your heart speech? It means whatever beliefs your heart is holding. This is what is meant by the speech of the heart. Right? The speech of the heart is what are the convictions which are in your heart? What are the beliefs in your heart? You believe Allah alone is worthy of worship. You believe in paradise. You believe in hellfire. You believe in the messengers. You believe in the books. You believe in the hereafter. You believe in the angels. Right? This is your heart speaking. That's the speech of your heart. Right? Whatever your heart has conviction upon, this is your heart essentially speaking. And as for your heart acting, the actions of your heart, then there are things like fear, awe, having khashya, khashya, khawf, raghba, having an aspiration, rahba, you know, having fear, al-mahabba, having love, tawakkul, reliance is an action of, of the heart, al-inaba, feeling remorseful is an action of the heart. These are all things that no one really knows except for Allah Azza wa Jal. And they take place in the heart. Nobody can see them. And then there are actions which are which take place upon the tongue, like for example, making dhikr of Allah, remembrance of Allah Azawajal, at tasbih, glorifying Allah, at tahleel, declaring none has a right to be worshipped except Allah, at tahmeed, praising Allah, calling to Allah, inviting others to Allah Azawajal, commanding good, prohibiting evil, and teaching people beneficial knowledge, and so on and so forth. So. The point being here then, in accordance with the definitions that we explained earlier on, then we see that worship can have many different forms and types. And they fall into three categories. In the heart, on the tongue, and upon the limbs. So this then leads to the answer to the question. So the question was, فَإِنْ قِيلُ If it is then said to you, فَمَا أَنْوَاعُ الْإِبَادَةِ الَّتِي لَا تَصْلُحُ إِلَّا, لا تصلح إلا لِلَّهِ تَعَالَى If it is then said, what are the types of worship which, are, which do not befit except Allah Ta'ala, except Allah Ta'ala alone? قُلْتَ Your answer will be, you will say, مِنْ أَنْوَاعِهَا مِنْ أَنْوَاعِهَا From its types, from its types, and then here we begin with a series of forms and types of worship that take us to the rest of the treaties. The rest of the treaties is going to speak about the specific forms and types of worship that we find mentioned in the Quran. So, the first of them, min anwa'iha ad-du'a, 
min anwa'iha ad-du'a so from their types is ad-du'a this is the first one that is mentioned ad-du'a meaning invocation and supplication Sheikh Al-Fawzan comments, Anwa'ul ibadatu kathiratun a'adhamuha ad-du'a. The forms and types of worship are very many. But the greatest of them is ad-du'a. The greatest form of worship is invoking Allah Azawajal. We see that in the Quran, in Surah Ghafir, Surah 40, verse number 60, Allah Azawajal, He says, وَقَالَ رَبُّكُمُ دُعُونِي أَسْتَجِبْ لَكُمْ إِنَّ الَّذِينَ يَسْتَكْبِرُونَ عَنْ عِبَادَتِي سَيَدُخُلُونَ جَحَنَّمَ دَاخِرِينَ He says, and your Lord has decreed, your Lord has decreed, your Lord has commanded, invoke me, supplicate to me, I shall respond to you, I shall respond to you. So at the beginning of the ayah, Allah Zawajal, He said, ud'uni. Invoke me. He used the word dua, dua. Then he said, "Inna al-ladina yastakbiruna an ibadati." Really, those who are arrogant from my worship. He used the word ibada. So he used the word dua at the beginning. Then he spoke of it from the angle of ibada at the end of the in the second half of the ayah. This shows that. Allah commanded us to make dua to him, but he labeled it as ibadah. Ad-dua is ibadah. And that's why we see in a hadith, ad-dua huwa al-ibadah. Ad-dua huwa al-ibadah. The meaning of it is that the dua is the essence of worship. Dua is worship. It is at the center of worship. Right? And the scholars, uh, the scholars of Tawheed, they explain what this means. They say that dua, that when we make dua, dua is really of two types. The one dua is when we actually raise our hands and we are actually asking something. Dua'ul mas'ala. We are actually saying to Allah, Oh Allah, give me such and such. Grant me such and such. You are asking for something. Right? So this is dua by way of, you know, you are expressly stating something with a tongue. You are requesting and asking Allah for something. But in the same way, when you do all other acts of worship, whenever you do any other act of worship that isn't asking Allah by the tongue, like for example, when you pray, when you fast, when you remove something harmful from the floor, when you give charity, when you show kindness to someone, when you, uh, you know, keep the ties of kinship, in essence, you are also making dua. You are, you are also making dua. Even though you're not verbally saying it, but in essence, by way of your body, you are essentially making dua to Allah because you are anticipating reward from Allah, forgiveness from Allah, mercy from Allah. Right? You, it, it's as if, by way of this deed, you are as if you are verbally asking, even though you are not. Right? So this is how you see the scholars like uh, Sheikh Salih Ala Sheikh and other than them, when they discuss this issue of what is dua and the types of dua, this is the general meaning that they explain, that dua is like this. This is why every act of worship is dua. Every act of worship is essentially it is dua. And that's why in the Quran you see the words that are used when Allah Zawajal, He is referring to the shirk of the mushrikeen. It's always dua. 
those whom you call upon besides Allah. You know, tad'oon, yad'oon, those whom they invoke, those upon they supplicate to. Right? And so that word, an ibadah. Ya'budun, ta'budun. Right? These are interchangeably used throughout the whole of the Quran. And so this shows to us that ibadah really, uh, dua is really, it is the, the essence of worship itself. When we look at, uh, look at it from this angle, it is from the greatest types of worship. And also because when you look at dua itself, when we speak of actual invocation, when you make dua, when you make dua, there are numerous different states and conditions in your heart which are coming together. There are certain beliefs in the heart and certain actions in the heart that are coming together and they are behind the act of actually making dua. Right? It's, it's much more than what we see. When a person raises his hand and he asks of Allah, what are the things that are taking place in his heart? There are many different types of worship which are taking place in his heart. Number one, obviously his belief that Allah is the creator, provider, owner who can answer him and give him his needs. In his heart there is veneration for Allah, there is ta'zeem of Allah In his heart there is uh, muhabba for Allah This is why he's invoking him. There is raghba. There is an aspiration, there is raja. He is anticipating a response, he is hoping in Allah All these different things are coming together in this one act of worship, which shows that it is, it is a great and mighty act of worship. And that is why when you see those people whom when they invoke others besides Allah, when they make dua and they invoke and they call upon the jinn, upon the angels, Upon the prophets, upon the righteous, or even worse than that, upon you know, upon idols, things which you know, idols and um, you know, something which is even more unfounded and ridiculous. They call upon idols and statues and and stones and trees and whatever else. All of this, you know, it is it is great injustice that you direct this du'a, which has behind it all of these other forms and types of worship, that you direct it to other than Allah. Right? Because when you make dua to Allah, you are, you are venerating that thing, you are anticipating a response from that thing, you are placing hope in that thing, you are, you know, th- this is what is implied by your action. You are directing worship to that thing. And that's why we see that in the Quran, when it prohibits shirk, we see often it is done and expressed by way of prohibiting dua, supplication. Allah Zawjal, He says, وَأَنَّ الْمَسَاجِدَ لِلَّهِ فَلَا تَدْعُوا مَعَ اللَّهِ أَحَدًا Indeed, the places of worship are for Allah. So do not invoke, فَلَا تَدْعُوا Do not invoke, make dua to, supplicate to, anyone alongside Allah. This is very explicit and clear. فَلَا تَدْعُوا مَعَ اللَّهِ أَحَدًا This is a negation. This is a negation. In fact, there are many elements to this, to, to this ayah. Number one, uh, the prohibition has been brought forward. فَلَا تَدْعُوا مَعَ اللَّهِ أَحَدًا And the, 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 the negate, the, that which is negated has been delayed to the end. This is like an emphatic form of establishing that only Allah should be invoked and no one else. No prophet, no angel, no jinn, no any other entity, no righteous person. It is exclusively only for Allah Azza Likewise, in another ayah by way of example, فَدْعُوا اللَّهَ فَدْعُوا اللَّهَ مُخْلِصِينَ لَهُ الدِّينَ So invoke Allah, make dua to Allah, 
making the deen purely and sincerely for him alone. Notice that in this ayah, the same thing, we find the same thing as we saw with the previous ayah. وَقَالَ رَبُّكُمُ دُعُونِي أَسْتَجِبْ لَكُمْ In the previous ayah, Allah Azawajal, He combined between, He started with dua, and He referred to, referred to it in the context of ibadah. In this ayah, we see that Allah Azawajal, He spoke of dua, فَدُعُ اللَّهَ And He tied it to deen. مُخْلِسِينَ لَهُ الدِّينَ So ad-dua has been made ad-deen. He's made it... A, he has described it as deen. Just as like in the previous ayah, he described it as ibadah. So, dua is ibadah. Dua is deen. The essence of the deen. So, we see from all of this, that this indicates the greatness of the issue of dua. And that it is not permissible to invoke anyone besides Allah Azza wa Jal. Because Allah Zujal, He is Al-Qadir, He is the one who is capable of everything. And when you call upon Him, He is the one who is able to respond to you, to give you what you need. And as for other than people, they are incapable. As for, as for other than them, from the people, whether the people, from the jinn, from the men, from the angels, from you know the prophets, the righteous, the inanimate things, all those things, they are incapable because they are creatures of Allah Zawajal and they don't have control over benefit that lies only in the hand of Allah And that's why then we come, the Shaykh then mentions this ayah that we mentioned in the previous series, that very important ayah in Surah Sabah, قُلِدُعُ الَّذِينَ زَعَمْتُمْ مِن دُونِ اللَّهِ لَا يَمْلِكُونَ مِثْقَالَ ذَرَّةٍ فِي السَّمَاوَاتِ وَلَا فِي الْأَرْضِ وَمَا لَهُمْ فِيهِمَا مِن شِرْكِ وَمَا لَهُ مِنْهُ مِن ظَهِيرِ وَلَا تَنْفَعُ الشَّفَاعَةُ Arguments are four avenues through which a person will justify worshipping others besides Allah. Right? So in this ayah, Allah negated that anyone controls anything independently. Even an atom, no one controls anything. So he cannot be a malik. In this ayah, Allah he negated that anyone is a sharik, a partner with Allah. In co-owning, sharing the ownership of something. Right? That's denied as well. And likewise, he denied that anyone... Uh, is an aider to Allah, someone who aids and helps Allah as if Allah is in need of you know, help in running His creation. This is denied as well. And likewise, intercession is denied except when Allah permits it Himself. And so, all of these four avenues by which a person might believe that benefit can come to him, they have all been cut off. So therefore, this means that you don't invoke anyone besides Allah. It is only Allah. And likewise, the uh, ayah likewise, وَمَنْ أَضَلُّ مِمَّنْ يَدْعُوا مِن دُونِ اللَّهِ مَنْ لَا يَسْتَجِيبُ لَهُ إِلَى يَوْمِ الْقِيَامَةِ وَهُمْ عَنْ دُعَائِهِمْ غَافِلُونَ Who is more astray than the one who calls upon those besides Allah? The one besides Allah who cannot respond to him until the day of judgment. And they are heedless, they don't even know that they are being called upon. They don't even know that dua is being made upon them. This is a hint towards the dead. Those which are invoked, first of all, they can't respond to you. Secondly, they, can't, they don't even know they're being called upon. They don't even know that you're making dua to them. So who is more astray than the one who invokes the likes of those? This ayah is in Surah Al-Ahqaf, Surah 46, verse number 5. And likewise, the statement of Allah Azawajal, إِن تَدْعُوهُمْ لَا يَسْمَعُوا دُعَاءَكُمْ 
If you were to call upon them, invoke them, make dua to them, they will not listen to your dua. And why? Because they are dead or because they are inanimate things. They don't have life. They don't hear. And Allah Zawajal, He continues in that ayah, وَلَوْ سَمِعُوا مَسْتَجَابُوا And even if they did hear, they would not be able to respond to you anyway. Which means that this is referring to living, those who you know, can, can have life. Even if they heard you, they will not be able to respond to you. Uh, Surah Fatir, this is Surah uh, 35, verse number 14. Because they are not able to answer. Why? Because they don't own anything. لَا يَمْلِكُونَ مِثْقَالَ ذَرَّةٍ فِي السَّمَاوَاتِ فِي الْأَرْضِ They don't own anything. They don't share in the ownership of anything. They don't aid and help Allah in anything. And they can't intercede with Allah except with His permission. So after all of this, how can they invoke and call upon someone or something besides Allah Zawajal? How can they abandon dua to Allah Zawajal? And then they turn to the dead or to the trees or to the stones or to those who are absent and far away from them. Where are the intellects of these people? Where are the intellects? Where, where are the brains and the intellects of, of, of Bani Adam? When they call upon people who do not even hear them. And, you know, and even if they invoke them, then they would not be able to you know, respond to them in any case. So this is a dua This is the basically, this is the greatest form of worship, which is a dua and what we'll do is that we'll conclude our lesson there uh, today, inshallah ta'ala. And we'll continue with uh, the remaining forms. And as you will see that the remaining forms, they add further and further clarity you know, to other forms of worship. So inshallah ta'ala, we'll continue with that discussion in the next lesson. Wa billahi tawfiq wa alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen wa sallallahu ala nabina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.